and welcome everybody to the Bull and the Badger podcast. Uh, this is the podcast where Asian American culture and mental health intersect. Good job! Thank you. You I did was, it! I was hoping you would say something because I was like... <laughs> This is this was it. This was the one. This is the one that we should just like we should never re-record this. <laughs> we should just use this one over and over again. And that's how it should go. So that I'm no longer embarrassing us. But you can do it. You have it inside you. There's deep inside. I had to reach deep. The, I wasn't phoning those others in, You're but right. I was like, there was so much pressure on me to like get this one right. But you know what? This time I let it go. <laughs> you let it go? Not frozen, let it go. <laughs> right? No rules. No way. Um, so but, what are you talking about today, Vanessa? Oh, uh, we're talking about stress. Stress. Something that I've never experienced in my life. <laughs> Something that I'm not really, if you could explain it, spell the word, use it in a sentence, that'd be perfect. Stress. Stress. S-T-R-E-S-S. Stress. Oh, wow. Oh, I like okay. doing it like they do Golf with clapping. the spelling bees when you say it again at the end. <laughs> I, I had that moment where I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how you spell it. So you can't think of any time when you were stressed. Um, Mess is just 100% cool as a cucumber. Stress-free. Collected. I'm selling my secrets on the internet. <laughs> Everybody wants to know. Vanessa's secret. To, yeah, the stress-free life. <laughs> it's because I live my life like a musical. <laughs> just like singing my stress away. Like when the dark com- times come. <laughs> I tried to see like how far I should take that one. You're right. I wanted to like start singing a song and then I was like, no, don't do what it. What song would you have sung? See, that's the thing. I had nothing. <laughs> and I definitely didn't want to sing Frozen. I know. I know. Sorry. I know. We lost we lost listeners because I hate Frozen. I applaud you for holding yourself back from Thank singing you. Frozen. Yeah. Sometimes, even if you don't like the song, it will come to you <laughs> yes. in the night. <laughs> like right when you're about to go to bed, you start to close your eyes. You're like, <laughs> let it go. Oh my god, I'm sweating already. There we go. Is it is it because you're stressed or because <laughs> my singing's so good? Both. Tell me true. I'm stressed out about how good your singing is. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're like, I didn't know. That's what keeps me up at night. <laughs> somewhere in Culver City, you're singing, and somewhere I'm stressed out about it. Yeah. <laughs> what does so, that say about our lives? Can you think of anything? I, I didn't think of anything specific. The only thing recently is that, um, so at my work, mm-hmm. everything is like ASAP. It's like, mm-hmm. get this ASAP. And like, mm-hmm. there's this one day where we were like all running around like stupid chickens with their heads cut off. Yeah. And then someone's like, this reminds me of this one clip. And we watched this, um, I forget what the movie's called now, but it's like from the eighties and it's about like, a like is a it mannequin? control room. No. <laughs> But Joan Cusack has an amazing performance in it where um, she's like a producer. And basically, when you're in television back in those days, you had to like roll tape. Yeah. I mean, like you still kind of I think it's more like files now. But, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> you know, you switch reels, you mm-hmm. know. And so they were on the fly doing pieces. You know, that's news. Like everything about news is like this. Right. And so she's like, make sure it happens. She's like 30 seconds. And then she has to run down this hall. It's these extended, like, really slap 16 of her, like, like running down the hall. She, like, slams into a uh, water fountain. It's like she jumps over a small child. And, oh, it's so good. And um, she, she hands off the, um, she hands off the, um, whatchamacallit, the, 
the tape to the producer and she's like cool guys <laughs> and she like walks away like she's so cool like <laughs> no no problems and i'm like sometimes i feel that way when we're doing like really stressful things at work because yeah i think at work it's always kind of be like a low level of or not a low level of stress but there's also like just like an undercurrent of like everything has to be yeah on time and you know like it's going to this important person and this person's depending on you to do this or that so yeah. so we get a, it gets a little tense at work i'm right. not gonna lie but what about you Oh, well, I, I'm totally like a stress, emotional eater. I'm like, I just immediately have to like, like, like it just all builds up, you know? And then I have to like leave and get like fried zucchini <laughs> or something like that. And that then seems I like a immediately endeavor. feel much better. And what? I know that that's a horrible thing to like have that habit, but it definitely is there and I've become a lot more aware of it Mm -hmm. probably in the past year or two where I'm like oh my god you know or like in the mornings like when I'm dreading going to work or at least with my previous job I'd be dreading going to work and then they have to go somewhere and like get like a like a breakfast bite you know and like that would kind of like calm me down and like be like okay it's fine you know like your self-medication and stuff like that um can I can I interrupt you? Yeah. Can I can I ask where you get your fried zucchini from? I have a few different places where I get my fried zucchini from. Okay, One of the places is in Arcadia, and I don't ever really get to go there very often, but gyms. Yes. Excellent. 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 Yes. There's another place near my work called um, Burger Town USA, <laughs> run by a very stern Asian couple. Really? Like the Asian version of like the soup Nazi, but she's like the burger Nazi. Oh my god. She's like, I mean, their food's really fantastic. Like, it's like, you know, it's but like it's, a gym yeah. type small burger joint place. Burger Town. Yeah. I mean, like, this is a town where burgers are made. <laughs> she's the mayor. She's oh, burger yeah. mayor. Although I'm sure she never even eats the food that she sells at her place but um they've got really good fried zucchini there is this is this near us is no this, it's in lake forest that way. Right. <laughs> we could take a little jaunt down there if you'd like <sighs> i, I, I want to meet the mayor <laughs> not gonna lie that's the, the fried zucchini and the mayor what's the third place um actually that's it those are what? the two places that I want to mention that I like. Fried you should have just made up a third then. No, my journalistic my integrity have to be real. <laughs> yes, exactly. Journalistic integrity. Okay, so now we have all this stress, and what do we do with it? Well, we're supposed to eat, right? <laughs> oh wait, no, that's not the. Oh shoot. Okay, what's the other answer? <laughs> Someone give me another answer. Well, we need an answer. And luckily, we have a guest who knows a little bit about stress and panic disorder and anxiety and all these other related um, things that we deal with on a daily basis. Can we call him Captain Stress? Captain Stress! His actual name is Sang Duangdara. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, correct, yeah. That is probably the coolest last name I've ever heard. After Mm. Belotro. It just rolls off the tongue. Duang. Dara? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it means celebrity in, in Lao. Does it really? But I am not celebrity, so. <laughs> I think you should still flip your hair just like, True, look yeah. at me. That's a pretty fancy last name with a pretty fancy meaning. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard for people to pronounce those sometimes, or a lot of the time, so you did a good job. Do you do you have any uh, favorite mispronunciations? Um, a lot of people just don't want to try <laughs> they just so give up I'm before like, okay, well, here we go. Sang D. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Mr. D, yeah. can you please come to the classroom? Pretty much. <laughs> so what's your background? Yeah, so my background... You can start from the very beginning, if you'd like. Beginning, where I was born. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I was born in Thailand in a refugee camp. Um, I'm not Thai, but I am Laotian. And my family moved to Wisconsin um, when I was two years old. And then I grew up most of my life there and have traveled and have done school in various um, states. And now I'm living in California. So that's a little... Uh, recap of my where who I am. Yeah. You went to Hawaii. I did. So I did my master's in counseling psychology in University of Hawaii at Hilo uh, for two years. I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Very different from what you see in advertised brochures of what Hawaii is. What? Uh, As a different Hawaii Five O. There's a lot of <laughs> different things that are in the background of Hawaii that people miss out on and also people don't want to talk about. So Okay. What are yeah. some of those things? Um, so the island that I lived on, so most when people think about Hawaii, they think of um, Oahu, mm-hmm. which is a fairly small island um, that which has all the tourists and um, nice beaches and whatnot. But I lived on the opposite end of that. And it was on the, the big island. It's called Hawaii. So that is Hawaii. Mm. Uh-huh. Or they call it um, the big island. And it is the biggest island of the different islands in Hawaii. Um, and it rained every day where I lived in Hilo. No way. Um, like torrential, tropical rains. Um, and a lot of the things that people don't see, like the, a lot of the domestic abuse. Um, mm. has a lot of black sands there that people don't know about versus, you know, white sands and whatnot. Wait, you went from domestic abuse to black sand? Yeah, so there's like two different I you were opposite ends. I thought uh, black sand was like metaphorical. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, there's deep evil in that sand. I wanted to balance it all out. And, you know, domestic abuse, it's a black sand. Um, in, the, in the middle would be homeless people that people don't wow. know about. So a lot of different issues good, going good on. Good range. A lot of positive things there too. So. Right. I did think, like, the last time I went to Hawaii, the first time I went, I was, like, in, I was 10 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. The second time I went was a few years ago, and it did kind of hit me of, like, there's just this, like, surface, you know, mm-hmm. that we all go there for, which is, like, the luau's and the kalua pig and, mm-hmm. like, you know, that stuff. And I'm like, what about the people who live here? Like, what is their life like? Is it just subsumed by tourism? Mm-hmm. Vanessa's tearing up. Yeah. It's the single tier. <laughs> but we don't talk about where that single tier originates anymore because <laughs> of my racist faux pas. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about now, yes, right? I know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Your trouble with Native Americans. We weren't supposed to talk about it. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so you studied there mm-hmm. and um, your studies took you to sort of discover and work with these different populations? Yeah, so um, in general, a master's in counseling psychology, at least the program that I did, um, centered on mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. And so they trained uh, all their uh, students to be a therapist, to be a counselor in mental health. Um, And so the population in Hawaii was a lot of uh, mixed ethnicities, races. Mm -hmm. um, So it wasn't just one group. You know, I'd get clients that would come in as like half Japanese, half Caucasian, um, Korean, Filipino, Filipino. um, So a lot of various different Asian American ethnicities, which is also good. You know, Hawaii is very diverse when it comes to that. Um, But people don't realize when they get there that how diverse it is. And also like, you know, native Hawaiians and things along those lines. Uh Did you notice that uh, any one particular group like 
had specific issues. I mean, like for mm-hmm. us in doing this podcast, we, you know, we want to highlight the fact that, you know, amongst the Asian American community, there's a lot of silence and shame. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, with the mixed mixed race populations or native Hawaiians or even the white Hawaiians that are there, mm-hmm. you know, like, are there specific um, mental health issues that they deal with? Um, well, it's interesting when you uh, when you look at the Caucasian um, demographic over there, um, because it's so it's not racist kind of, in a way, um, but they are discriminated against um, because uh, the majority over there is mixed race, Asian American things along those lines. Um, so I've had clients that are Caucasian that come in and have a difficult time dealing with that versus when they used to live um, on the mainland where, you know, they don't realize that discrimination until they become the minority. Um, so that was a different perspective um, when I was working with them, but also getting um, working with the Asian Americans there. It, there wasn't such a big social justice movement for the Asian Americans there just because I think a lot of them were the majority. Um, I think the big issues there were with the Native Hawaiians and what it meant to them to be Hawaiian and how that is their land and the tragic history and things along those lines when it came to the United States and the conflicts with Native Hawaiians. Were those usually young people or were they older adults? Um, I would say late late 20s to 40s, but there are specific Hawaiian schools from like K to 12 that you have to have a certain um, a percentage of Hawaiian blood to be able to um, go into the schools. Mm. So then those students, they do learn a lot about, you know, the real history of what's happened in their um, Hawaiian, native Hawaiian history. And then you get those students that are very um, advocate for, for their people and whatnot versus the students that may go to uh, the general public then don't get um, that kind of education. I hope this is not too... <clears throat> presumptuous of a question, but I'm curious if, like, as someone who had to move to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, from Laos, or from Thailand, you were born in Thailand, but, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you said you were, you were born in a refugee camp, and mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have that same, were able to maybe identify with that kind of history of being, like, dislocated or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I definitely was able to relate on that level. Um, for me, since I moved at such a young age, I don't really, you know, remember much, but I tried my best to, to learn about my history and the reasons why, where, and things along those lines. Um, but it was definitely, so moving from Wisconsin to Hawaii opened my eyes quite a bit just because, you know, Wisconsin, I don't know if either of you have been there. Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> no one been there. I'm, I'm always in, um... And at work, I'm always like, oh, what's Wisconsin cheese, cows? Yeah, I'm like, no, there's more than that. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, you all have to go visit, t- take, a check, uh, take a look over there. Um, but um, I'd say predominantly um, Caucasian Americans there um, being treated differently. And then coming to Hawaii where my eyes like, wow, there's so many Asians around me right now. Like, yeah. Am I processing in, in those lines? And taking, you know, a couple months or so to get used to that and then feeling way more comfortable in Hawaii than um, Wisconsin, I'd say. Wow. So. Well, um, that's that's really fascinating. I mean, is there a reason why you didn't make Hawaii home and, and instead of California? 
Well, I think the main reason I didn't make Hawaii home was because it's so far away from family. Mm-hmm. So even though California is still far away from family, where um, I have a small family in Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, um, Janesville, Wisconsin. Um, so I have like two sisters, uh, mom, dad that live there. Um, so I didn't want to be too far, even though California is so across <laughs> the country. They told them two, uh, two years in Hawaii and then I'll come back. Kind of. And I did kind of come back. <laughs> to the contagious they, United States. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So. That's very cool. Yeah, but I, I do consider uh, Hawaii like a second home. I have a lot of good close friends there that, you know, I always go. I actually went back two months ago to say hello and um, catch up on that with their lives and whatnot. So it's always a nice place to go back and relax. Of course, for everyone, I right. think. Yeah. So now, what, so what do you do now? Um, so right now, I work for University of California, Irvine as an academic counselor uh, for freshmen in the pharmaceutical sciences department. So are there very many stressed out 18, 19, 20-year-olds coming into your office? Yeah. I which think... I've snuck into. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you were out of the office. Maybe they were stressed out tour. that you're sneaking <laughs> in there. Um, it's, it's definitely an interesting community that I work with now compared to in my past. Um, yeah, so a lot of the students that come in are freshmen, so they're, you know, they're just graduated high school, coming in and excited, nervous, all these different emotions um, that I, then they come into my office and then, you know, I'll hear some of their issues or um, just how they're transitioning and whatnot. Um, but it's fairly, I'd say it's easier than what I've done before just because I'm not given such a heavy um, mental health uh, issue, uh, whether it's like, you know, panic disorder or depression and things like those. So it's more of, I would say, a very uh, light anxiety. Uh, but of course, you know, you're going to get the students that do have or that I can see that they do have some kind of um, mental health issue. So. so in academic counseling, do people, I, I imagine people mostly come in and talk about, you know, their classes and what they need mm-hmm. to satisfy in order to graduate. Exactly. But do they also sometimes come in to ask for help or if they're feeling stressed out or anything like that? They do. Yeah. So I'll get, you know, the occasional student that, you know, has a lot of different things going on at home. Um, their personal life and they just want to talk about it um, when it's on like a more surface level and not too um, detrimental to themselves and you know we can talk and um, see what's going on to see how it, um, I can help them help them adjust to the college life or to improve their grades things along those lines um, but when it gets too um, too severe I guess when it comes to different disorders then I have to um, take them to the counseling center or at least refer them to the, to that where all the mental health issues um, revolve around on the, at the university level. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you see like recurring themes with, you know, people who come in or students who come in? Cause I imagine mm-hmm. like particularly UCI and particularly mm-hmm. the field that, you know, you're a counselor for that you got a little stressed out kids who don't want to disappoint their parents. Yeah, very much. Um, I see that quite often. So UCI has a lot of Asian American students. Um, so a lot of the times I'll get freshmen that come into my office and, you know, we get to talk and talking like, why do they want to be a farm size student? And to get down to it, they, a lot of it is peer pressure or not peer pressure, oh, peer pressure and also like um, their parents' roles in their education and that influencing them, you know, pharmacy is a good path for them and you'll do great in it. It pays well. That's mm-hmm. a, a big 
concern for a lot of students that if they major in something else, then they won't be able to get a job or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, my role, you know, is to remind them that, you know, as long as, you know, you're pursuing some kind of education, you'll be able to do something and you should do something that you enjoy, that doesn't stress you out, that doesn't, that does you don't get Fs on your exams <laughs> and things like that. Right. So. Yeah. Do you ever counsel people away from pharmacy? Yeah, um, quite a bit. So I, I um, try to, my goal in being a counselor for freshman student is to make sure they're in the right major and they're not pursuing something that in the long run won't help them. Um, Because it's not fun when you're pursuing a major and all you get is C's, D's. Um, You want to be, you want to have a happy student, whether it's in PharmSci or outside of it. Um, A lot of, I have had some students that are so persistent where you know, you see those negative grades and they want to stay until at the last point where we have to tell them that you you can't be in our major anymore because you're not making progress. And mm-hmm. and we don't want to get to that point. Usually I want to try to be proactive and help them when I see signs that, you know, what other what are your other interests? What classes have you taken that you have been more successful and happy in? Wow, that's actually, that's really cool. I, I guess for me, my academic counseling experience or with in my undergrad time was very limited. You know, I didn't feel like anybody like had to counsel me through anything, but mainly maybe because I was just like, like flitting through my classes and I was doing all right. <laughs> what but was your major? I forget. Communications and history. Oh, okay. Like <laughs> communications. Cause I was like, it's so broad, you know, like anything could happen, you know? And then history. Cause like, that's something like, and actually my sister was like, you need a double major. I was like, okay. <laughs> And it was like, it was like, I got her reasoning. It's because communications yeah. is so broad. Right? right. And then history was something I actually like to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's what ended up, you know, pointing me towards documentary. A little, little fact for people out there. Vanessa is really good at history trivia. I just always like, was always amazed by your like recall. <laughs> you always like kick ass on the finals. I'd be like, what the hell? You we study together. <laughs> the thing with history is like I'm awful with like names and dates and things like that, but I have to fit it together in my head of what the narrative is. Yeah. So like when I think about, I don't know, any event, you know, is it like pre, you know, like is it antebellum or is it like <laughs> after the war, you know, like so that's the only way that I can like sort through things. I'm actually really terrible at like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, she is very good at history trivia. (laughs) Flipping your hair back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a star at pub trivia too one day. I can, I can just, those are my goals. You should do that. That would be really fun. I've done it once, and we were not that bad. Yeah, we were like, we weren't last, guys. Pub trivia is really hard. Yeah, it is. It's like super duper hard. Like general, yeah, the range. Um, but academic counselors <laughs> double <But> like, majoring. <laughs> no, because like I, I guess like I didn't realize just how much an academic counselor does. Mm-hmm. Like I have friends who do that, and they go to school and they tell me about how they guide students. But to talk someone through their whole schedule, that mm-hmm. seems to me very like involved. You know, like in looking after really yeah their mental health, their their academic success, and I'm wondering if that's something that is specific to your department or if it's something mm-hmm. that academic counselors everywhere are like expected to do because I, I feel like I've met some academic counselors and they're not as invested they're not as um, looking at the whole picture. It's like, well, do you have enough credits to finish this major? 
Do you know what I'm saying? Very yeah, like yeah. that's the bare minimum, and that's what how I think of academic counseling. Yeah. Sometimes. No, I have heard horror stories about academic counselors, and I go, "Oh no, I hope I'm not like that to my students." But I think you know it all depends on who the academic counselor is and how their style um, and their background. Um, you know, there's some academic counselors that you know don't have a lot, don't have mental health um, backgrounds, and may not be able to uh, pinpoint different. Um, things that come up in the conversation um, or trigger points. And so, like, for me, um, I'm really thankful that I do have that background just because, like, I have students come in talking about different things and I can already notice the way they, they sit, the way they talk. And um, not that I, I always analyze them when I'm just um, with students, but it's uh, different signals that other people may not know what it is or that those are just strange students and they're just the weird ones that go on the side but wait like um, what are, what are some of those things that you notice yeah i think for me since i worked uh, very heavily in my master's program with anxiety um, disorders and specifically panic disorder so i've had um i one student this past year that has come in very um very in a very different man he just comes in sits down right away and has this piece of paper he writes everything down and the way he he's out of breath when he's coming to my office he was rushing there when there's no point of rushing um and just the way he talks about um his him being in class and how mm. much anxiety he can well, he he uh, explicitly says how much anxiety he's um he gets when tests come up oh so he and expresses so, it to yeah you. so then that that makes me ask more questions and really um, getting understanding of what I can do to help him in his success as an undergrad here. So, because mental health, you know, um, in the early early young adults, that's when a lot of mental health really does start um, becoming an issue and being triggered. Um, so, in early like eighteen to twenty five years old, I would say is when a lot of mental health issues come about, um, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, schizophrenia, things like that. Um, just because well, there's not really a reason, but I think it's just because at that age, that's when a lot of people are figuring things out with their life and actually, and, and they have to go to college or not go to college. A lot of stressors trigger those kinds of things. So that's why um, counseling centers are so important in the college environment, because they know that that's when things are really triggered and that's when students need that kind of support. In your department, are students required to go see academic counselors at least once, or is it just never, you know, there are no requirements? Yeah, so our department is fairly small. It started, I believe, in 2007 with only 10 students. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I know. Special so, students yeah, so, <laughs> erecting an entire <laughs> department. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so now we have about almost 200 students coming wow. in every year, which uh -huh. is great. Um, and because we have such, not low numbers, but a good amount that we're able to handle that all the freshmen are are required to come in to see either me or a peer counselor, um, and required you know to discuss what's how their uh, quarter is going and troubleshoot any issues that are that are happening. So they are are all required to come in the first year. Mm -hmm. This is a weird weird. I wonder if this is actually like a very good investment for the university mm -hmm. as well in order to have students finish their time there because mm -hmm. I, I feel like maybe stress is one of those things that always kind of 
it, it causes a student to kind of become paralyzed mm-hmm. or things like that. And, you know, like I don't see universities necessarily saying like academic counselors are like, the, you know, like there's a lot of the backbone on, of student yeah. success. <laughs> but but it, and then like a lot of times it's like the professors that are recognized for their contribution to student success and like mm-hmm. equipping students. But I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like, you know. At maybe at UC Irvine, at least, that there's an investment, or from your department, there's mm-hmm. an investment in academic counseling being this thing that's going to equip mm-hmm. students to have success later on. Or? Yeah, um, I think it, on my department is really lucky to have a, like a good size that we're able to manage because you'll have other departments that manage like, thousands of students because it's <laughs> such a big major that I can understand on a level that the students become numbers and mm. you know you just got to get them in get them out if they're not going to work you got to change majors a lot of and so for our major I think I'm also really fortunate to be in that department to be able to work with students each student make sure they are successful whether it's going to be in our major or outside of our major um, and I think even for myself wherever I'm working I don't want to be in an environment where the people I work with are considered numbers. I want to work with each individual student, make sure that they're able to manage whatever that's in their lives. Hey, everybody. If you like what you've heard so far in this podcast, check out episode 110 called Inner Monologue. Here's a quick sample. I have imaginary arguments with myself and with people, you know, um, even arguments that have never really happened, you know, but I just know that they could happen. So I want to be prepared. (laughs) And the worst part is sometimes I lose. So what's some of the advice that you give students who are stressed out or Mm -hmm maybe even, you know, more, um, extreme cases. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the times the students come in with just generalized anxiety, um, being worried that they're not going to be able to handle their coursework or actually a lot of the times, you know, we, uh, UCI, we get in a lot of great, smart students. And a lot of the times they think either come in, we recommend 12 credits and just, you know, adjust and get per quarter. Used to, yeah. Per quarter, mm-hmm. and, or at least for the first year to get used to the, the environment. Um, but a lot of the times the students, you know, they come in like, Oh no, I'm really smart. I can take 18 credits Ugh. and do all my GEs in Yikes. one year. Um, <laughs> and we, we really don't promote that just because we've seen in the past that, you know, our students don't do well at all because they're overdoing it. And, and you know, that's going to cause so much stress and right. stress is already not a good thing with, for anyone. Um, so yeah, usually the advice, you know, start easy, go into the college environment, like, you know, ready to explore for, besides the academics. Um, yeah. So some advice is, you know, just to start off the the quarter easy, um, not necessarily easy, but just to get used to this new environment. Cause you know, when you're moving, when you're not even in school and you're moving from a state to one state, you want to get used to the new, your new environment. Just so you take that down into the, the college environment and tell those to, um, the incoming freshmen and also the different study skills that I'm sure we are all, um, familiar with and changing that from high school studying to college studying, um, and also making sure that, uh, for me at least, I am a big advocate of making them aware that, you know, mental health is important, self-care is important. 
um, don't forget about that. Don't be in your room studying 24-7. <laughs> and also don't be out of your room not studying at all. Right. Um, so trying to find that balance in um, the college environment. Yeah. Do you find culturally there's like resistance to the idea of like self-care and not working yourself yeah, I, to death? I think especially for the Asian American community that I work with at UCI, I see them overworking um, a lot of the times because they just they they need to get that A in every class and if they once they get that C their first C then everything goes downhill it's tragic life is over right. and so that's really a big issue that they have to work through and sometimes they do need to get to that low point and have someone there to support them that to tell them you know it's okay that your life is going to still move on uh -huh. and you're still going to be able to get to that farm school or med school or whatever you want to do. Um, but it's having that, that support on the side to, to lift you. Do you think it's, um, in terms of counseling them and telling them to kind of, uh, calm it down, but like, just like bring <laughs> that stress down for them. Is it, mm -hmm. is it related to getting them acquainted to failure or getting them like to balance their life out more? Uh, well, a lot of the time, the students that come in, I get to see they've already reached that point because they don't want to, besides the mandatory um, check-in, um, the students that I see afterwards, they've reached that point of low and they're like, who do I go to, to to get help? And so it's either coming to me or me referring to them to other resources. Um, but also, you know, you'll have the students that are proactive and they just want advice on like, how do I get through this, these next four years? And I don't want to... I want to make sure I'm a well-rounded student. What do you uh, recommend? Things along those lines. So it just depends on uh, when they come in and how they are when they come in, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, does uh, UCI have very robust counseling services, like mental health counseling and things like yeah, that? Yeah, they have um, really good counseling services that I feel like students don't take advantage of just because of the stigma of counseling in general, especially in the Asian American community. Um, but with the counseling center at UCI, you know, they take in walk-ins, they make sure um, they have time for each and every student that comes in. And I believe uh, most of the time students go in is when, you know, midterms come up and that's when the, the stress and anxiety level are so high that they finally reach out. Um, so at those times when stress levels are high, I'm sure, you know, the counseling center gets quite a bit or even our office, we get quite a bit that come in and see what we can do to help. Right. Wow. Did you ever have that kind of experience yourself where mm -hmm. like in year in school, either your undergraduate or your mm -hmm. graduate where you were so stressed out and you didn't know what to do? Yeah. The, the funny thing is that when I, in my undergrad, I was actually a pre-med student oh. and I would say I, I was under that pressure also from my, my family. Um, but it was at those low points that when I reached out, it, you know, helped me figure out what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. Um, and it kind of went full circle because um, one of the, I'd say she, I consider her a mentor. Um, she was my advisor um, in my undergrad and she also did counseling psychology mm -hmm. as her master's. And she really helped direct me in my life and where I am now. And and that's why I also like make sure, you know, when I'm working with students, I have a really open mind and create that really comforting environment and then that trust that, you know, you need to build with um, students that come in so they feel comfortable and speaking and saying anything. 
We just got Captain Stress's origin story. Because <laughs> I was like wondering, you know, what, what definitely set you down this path? Because it mm-hmm. seems like you were very purposeful about, you know, what kind of um, master's degree that you mm-hmm. wanted to get. And also, um, you know, like the specific kind of studies that you did while you were mm-hmm. in your master's degree. Can you talk a little bit about like what you learned? Because you said mm-hmm. you focused in on panic disorders. Yeah. Um, so for counseling psychology, the two years, so the first year is more about just learning the general, um, knowledge about what counseling is, the different theories, um, what's your theory and how are you going to implement it? And then the different counseling techniques. Um, and then the second year, uh, was about going into what, um, practicum site you wanted to be at, whether it's like, I had, um, various classmates that went to like elementary schools I went to mental health Um, services, domestic abuse um, shelters, and I was the oddball out that went to um, various sites. Uh, I went to two sites. I went to one that was on the university um, working with uh, college students in general and in a program, so it's very familiar with what I'm doing right now. Um, And then my other site uh, where I got half my hours were the panic disorder lab research. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I was a mental health counselor for any of the participants that were in the lab. And so our labs uh, uh, was studying about panic disorder and we had a specialized treatment for all the the participants and seeing how effective that was for, for all the people that decided to participate. What what is what was this specialized treatment? Are you allowed to? Yeah, yeah, I can give you the secret. <laughs> oh my gosh! Vanessa has so please. many secrets. I'm so like, secrets. I'm like scribbling notes down here. Uh, secret number fifty-seven. Besides watching like cat videos, like what else? Um, so my the lab the research lab that I worked in. Uh, the professor specialized in panic disorder, um, and so this is coming from her research and then her continuation of her research and her, um, I guess, her treatment for panic disorder. So the treatment is used CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and it specialized in a breathing technique, um, seeing how different ways of breathing could manage someone's panic disorder. Um, and so we had about three um, mental health counselors, including myself, that uh, that were given different patients. And then the let's see, the treatment I think was about three, four months long, um, where you know they would you would get a client come in and we would have to do assessment with them, which would take three to yeah about three hours long, wow. very long assessment <laughs> to get to know about their entire life and what we could do to help them. Um, and then we would, you know, um, um, give them the knowledge on what panic disorder was, because a lot of the times people um, have these kinds of different symptoms and they don't know what it is until you go to someone that is specialized in it and they're like, oh, you have this. So this is how you can treat it or this way, that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we would educate them that, you know, this is a common disorder that a lot of people have and it's, it is treatable and this is the way we're going to treat you. Um, so they're given through this, uh, three month process where we give them different techniques. Um, and then they have to implement the technique once they are at home and they're doing their own thing. And we give them, um, a CD or MP3 player that has uh, audio that helps them, um, time their breathing. And then you're given like three, about three months, um, therapy. Um, and we actually, the unique thing about this, uh, study slash treatment was that the rest of the therapy sessions were done via Skype. 
Um, and we that was also one of the things we wanted to see how uh, manageable that was and how effective it was when you're doing in-person treatment and also versus via Skype treatment. Um, and the study is still going on. Um, so back in Hawaii, they've got new um, mental health counselors that are still um, taking in um, clients and whatnot. So I can't say this is for sure the treatment. It's going to work for everyone. But when I was there, uh, we did got a we got a high uh, success rate for the, a lot of the clients. Even for the remote sessions. Uh, what do you mean? The the remote sessions that were on Skype. Yeah. So well. All the clients that went through it, because um, most of the past studies have done this kind of treatment in person. So um, all the clients that we took were all Skype. Besides the first and last session, they had to come in and speak with us just to see um, them taking the assessment and surveys and seeing, um, collecting data of that kind. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Now I know all the secrets. Yeah, so now I, <laughs> I can direct anyone. <laughs> Everyone can go to you, Vanessa. <laughs> Done. I'm selling more internet secrets. So um, what, what, like, do you do basically the same thing when you do, when you work at UCLA? No, no. no I do more admission do admissions and okay. recruitment and things like that. I don't have to, I mean, it would be nice to deal with students, but at the same time, I see what the counselors go through and I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's because you have to love it. It's yeah. really thankless. And yeah. uh, so kudos to you. So. <laughs> um, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, they are coming in with high levels of stress. And, um, and and a lot of it is like sometimes like a negotiation. I think just because like in terms of having to navigate school rules, mm-hmm. at least for the film program, there's a lot of... <sighs> Yeah, boundaries with which they have to operate under. And uh-huh. uh, film is so unique that, mm-hmm. like, it's not just papers, you know, it's, like, your projects. And doing a film project while you're an undergrad and having to, like, take your math finals and all yeah. that other stuff is, that's no fun. Yeah. Absolutely no fun. But I'm curious, because I think, um, I didn't believe my friend when she told me. Or when I did, I was like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. But she was like just get ready to cry in grad school. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. thanks for that advice. That's not real advice. Mm-hmm. It's like a warning. It was like, it was like, beware the eyes of March, you know, and also <laughs> crying in grad school. You know, it was like, oh, okay, well, sure, sure. I'll write yeah. that down. What about for you living in Hawaii, going uh-huh. to grad school? Yeah, so that was quite a big transition in my life just because, you know, just going to grad school and then also doing it in a different state. Um, but I chose, I did that for a reason because I knew I wanted to get out of my comfort zone and challenge myself and, you know, continue to grow as a person. Um, so going to grad school, um, it was good and stressful and, you know, everything that comes along with, um, homework assignments and reading and whatnot. But a lot of the times, you know, I like to remind students or students and anyone that's interested in grad school that you're going to the program because you enjoy that subject you're not going there to complain about the subject. Of course I did, you know, have my days or I don't want to do this, this is too much. Um, but in the end, you know, you're doing it because you love it and you 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 want to do something um, with that kind of education. Um, and I think a good thing to promote, I guess, any counseling psychology program is that they've had studies where they, um, they take the students and... Um, take their happiness level um and then they take their happiness level after program and that you know they come out 
very happy that they're more understanding about the world and the people around them. And just because you're getting a, uh, such a big insight in how people um, behave and not being so judgmental on, on people you meet, random people you meet around the world and understanding that everyone has their own stories and issues. So. Do you ever encounter someone in your program and obviously you don't have to mm-hmm. specifically say, but like that you were like, I don't see this person being a counselor. Yeah, there were. <laughs> That's funny you asked that. Uh, so there are always, when you get into a cohort kind of program. So mm. my program was about 20 students. Um, and we all had class in this white room together for three, four hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to get to know everyone very well. Um, there are, you know, there are always like a select few that are different oddballs, but that's, the, I guess that's the fun thing in counseling where everyone is so different that they have their different ways of um, being a counselor. Mm-hmm. So because this person is that way, they're probably going to be more effective with this kind of person that has this issue and whatnot. So they may not get along with this person, but they're going to do really well as a counselor in this kind of field. Mm-hmm. So there were ones that are like, oh, are, they're going to be a counselor to who? <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they definitely, um, I think all my um, cohort mates are great counselors and what they're doing now in such um, different fields and different areas. Good yeah. save. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think um, I'm curious, like personally for you, um, you know, like handling that kind of stress too. Um, so you'd already gone through a stressful undergrad where you like decided, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I'm, maybe I'm not pre-med, you mm-hmm. know, maybe I want to go into counseling and then through grad school and even in your everyday, it sounds like you have, um, not safeties, but ways of like kind of managing stress and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things and avoiding panic disorders yeah. and, um, I'm curious, uh, so it sounds like, you know, like fitness is like one, mm-hmm. I mean, talk about your marathon if you'd like, and, mm-hmm. um, even, even just finding those different things for you, like, can yeah. you, can you kind of t- walk us through that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think people do ask me like saying, why are you so chill? Like, I don't know, <laughs> just, just my personality. Um, and I think, um, it, it does come down to my personality, but also, um, like different ways I maneuver around different stress because you know everyone in life has stress but it's really you know how do you deal with it what do you uh, look at stress how do you look at stress and do you let it control yourself or do you control the stress um, for me you know there was stress in my graduate program and how did I manage that like to be I think one of the things that a lot of Americans in general are don't really use is just being mindful of what they're doing, like mindfulness. Um, And that technique um, has actually shown in studies that it does help in reducing a lot of anxiety and stress. And when I say mindfulness, it's about, um, you know, when you were talking about going towards eating as a way for like to reduce stress um, or going towards something negative to reduce the stress, but it's actually just a cycle that's going to come back. Um, and for me, like I use my mindfulness in understanding what I'm doing at, at the moment. How am I feeling right now? Instead of, you know, you turn on the TV and you're sitting down for dinner and you have this whole plate to eat. And then five minutes later, it's gone. And you're like, wait, did I just eat? Or did <laughs> you're so being more mindful of what you're putting into your body, how what you're thinking about and being in the present. Um, I think that's how I maneuver for myself and getting through the stressful moments, not really enjoying them, but knowing that, you know, this is just a moment right now. It's going to pass. 
life is all about cycles and it's how you deal with those cycles that really will make you who you are and how you'll come out you know hmm. And um, what are, and what about like exercise or mm-hmm. like yeah um, so different techniques that I've used with students and clients in the past and even for myself um, like yoga um, I don't do it as often as I like now but yoga is a great example for mindfulness um, because you're it's so slow but some people don't like the quiet and whatnot. Um, but it's a great way to be mindful of uh, your body and how you're feeling and the emotions that come along with your body. Um, and if yoga is not your thing, um, a breathing techniques, um, how you're breathing, and being aware of whether you're breathing um, sufficiently, whether it's through your diaphragm or just really barely breathing, and that's also different things that um, cause anxiety. Um, and then just in life in general for me, I would consider myself an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I get a lot of my energy when I'm alone and just doing my own thing, whether it is running. Um, I talked a little bit about um, enjoying fitness. And so I'm a big runner and I love my my own time where I'm able to um, just think about my own thoughts and ideas that pop up while I'm running. Um, and also just reading in a, like a cafe. Um, so I know, you know, there are other people that are on opposite ends where, you know, they're extroverts and get their energy from people, but you know, who are you surrounding yourself with positive, negative, um, in those kinds of ways. Um, so I would say it depends on the type of person you are and trying to find the, the nourishing positive ways that will help you decrease that stress or anxiety. Um, but in, when you're saying therapy, Therapy is so broad that it shouldn't just be uh, a term that is just for like a white room where one person sitting across from you and you're talking. So therapy in various cultures can be in so many different forms and so many different hobbies can be therapeutic. And I find my hobbies to be very therapeutic for myself. So it's really finding what's your hobby. Is that going to help you de-stress you or is it going to stress you more then don't do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) things along those lines that is how i I guess i think to help me in stress what if my hobby is stress (laughs) (laughs) what then find another hobby i don't know (laughs) we have to figure that out later yeah (laughs) let's talk about that vanessa (laughs) (laughs) well you know like i think there are people who who thrive on those kinds of um, environments and I think there's in some ways I do like I like being what I miss about production is that the adrenaline rush mm-hmm. that you get from like trying to make the day and that means like you know you're helping you know helping set up shots you're like making things happen you're problem solving and you know uh, all to make sure that however many shots you have that day you're able to accomplish that and I think the same thing with post is like well, did everybody get the information that they need in order to make that happen? You know, or, or we have to meet this deadline. And once that you meet that deadline, you're like, you feel like, you know, and that feeling of the after feels good. And I'm curious because you said, um, for different, you know, like different ways of dealing with stress for different people. And I'm curious, do you do assessments with people? Is that something that is part of like, um, in, in your counseling or is that just something that you recommend? Um, well, I would say for assessments, I did that. You have to do that. Um, when I was in Hawaii, um, just assessments to whether it's going to be about their mental health or overall life. Um, but for uh, academic counseling, what I do now, it's more, I don't really do too many assessments. 
um, maybe you're on the lighter end of getting to know who the student is and how their classes are going and what are their struggles with their classes or outside their classes. So not as much of a two or three hour long assessment tour for students now. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. What if, what if for April and me, mm-hmm. so we're stress eaters. She's not the only one. I also do yeah. that. And I'm like, damn, I deserve like yeah. a hamburger, like right now. Yeah. You know what I think about sometimes, I know uh-huh. I'm totally um, interrupting you, but like, so like sometimes like to get through the anxiety of having to go to work and like face what's waiting for me at work. Like I'll, you know, mm-hmm. go to the grocery store, or pick up some food for myself or whatever, and whether or not it's actually a good thing. But then you see, and and I don't want to be judgmental, but just like an observation, you know, like the person in front of me who's checking out has like two bottles of vodka and like cranberry juice. And this is like seven in the morning. Right. And I was, I always used to say like, oh, you know, obviously this person is alcoholic, but then I thought about it. I'm like, I'm doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just a different thing that I'm buying. It's just a different thing that I'm using Mm -hmm. to sort of make myself feel better and make Mm -hmm. myself be able to face the day, you know? And so I felt sadness for both of us oh. <laughs> it's just an observation anyway your oh i don't know like are there, are there alternatives because i think you know like i wouldn't say like the other way to go is um whatchamacallit is to go towards exercise because like that yeah. might not be not therapeutic <laughs> For someone who, like, is not like, mm, yes, right now, <laughs> you're like, maybe you don't have the time. Like, the time that you could spend eating, you know, whatever you want to eat, yeah. is that is that time that you should spend doing something else? Or should you, you talked about mindfulness and things mm-hmm. like that. I'm curious, like, how you redirect some of that stress. Mm. Well, let me give you another secret. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're so full of the secrets today. So ready for this. Um, well, the way I live... Uh, my life in general, um, just because of my past. So I used to be 100 pounds heavier than what I am now. Um, But it has been through learning um, about myself, my mind, because I think a lot of the times someone's weight or someone's um, perception of themselves, you know, has to do with their their past and what they have gone through and whatnot. And then really um, nurturing their, their present and and seeing what ways it will help them in the long run. So really understanding who the person is and yourself is how I would direct someone in finding what can help them to de-stress their life. And it doesn't have to be about eating um, or about finding going running or whatnot, but it's all about having that activity that is not uh, toxic to your life. Um, you know, like you mentioned someone going, um, to the grocery store and buying alcohol and whatnot. And, you know, I, I go and buy alcohol and I eat donuts, <laughs> I eat all, all the good stuff. Um, but it's really balancing, um, all the stuff you enjoy. Um, even I, I get friends that think I'm extreme to, to do the different runs I do. Um, but I find that manageable because I'm able to balance it with my, my schedule and making sure I'm, I'm doing everything I'm doing that's going to make me happy and not um, pull me down or be around people that put me down. And uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but... 
So you actually enjoy running. It's not like, because so many people yeah. going to the gym is like, I hate it, but I'm just going to force myself to it's, do it. It's so strange. I definitely say it's strange for me because, um, you know, I have a lot. I have most of my friends are saying uh, they hate cardio. Um, but uh-huh. for me, I think I don't consider it exercise for me anymore. It's it's a hobby. Uh-huh. Um, I'd say weight training is exercise for me. Uh, and then running is just a hobby because oh. I love beyond the idea of getting exercise from running. It gives me so much more. It, it lets me see different locations that I would never figure out or find. It lets me find the next $20 bill on the ground. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, when you were in Irvine, they're just twenties on the ground. So it's really all the other stuff that comes with the running and not just thinking running is just exercise. So whether you, a person is running or drawing or writing, it's what they are getting beyond that physical or um, what's on the paper. It's what do you get that fulfills you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Oh, so we haven't talked about your um, side hobby <gasps> business kind of thing. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Let's it. Let's talk about that. Which one? Your bow ties. <laughs> oh, my bow ties. Yeah. Um, so I started sewing. I love, I'd say sewing is very therapeutic for me. So you can usually find me in my garage uh, by myself, listening to music and sewing <laughs> for hours. <laughs> what kind of music? Um, I listen to all like the top 40s and K-pop. So <laughs> I would say right now my jam is Adele's Hello. I, I haven't heard yeah. it yet. It's a heartbreaker, but it's I so good. I haven't heard it yet. Oh. <laughs> I, I just listened to it last night. I was like, hello. <laughs> yeah. But then I wanted to do Lionel Richie instead. <laughs> Wow, so K-pop, so like Big Bang is helping Big you. Big Bang, they, they came here and I was so upset that I didn't get to go watch them, but they, they get me through my sewing sessions until anyone gets me through them. Um, but yeah, I, I sew and so um, what has come out of that is a, a small company that I've built called Thai Theory. Um, so Thai Theory is all about uh, putting social causes in its clothing. And right now it, it's bow ties. So... How I brand tie theory is that I want to make sure that when whoever is wearing one of my bow ties, that they stick out, that they are unique, they're they're individualistic, and that they have something that they want to tell, um, different stories. And so, actually, it's interesting. I've built a. It's called social ties um, that stems off of tie theory, and I get artists. Um, high red people and things like that that I feel like have really exemplify what Thai theory um, stands for. And so I've had um, b-boys and um, graphic artists and um, different people along those areas that um, write about their story and what they are passionate about, their causes, and why they, they want to be, why are they, or why are they unique. And so I always like to say that Thai theory is a brand that speaks and not just is worn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the causes that, that people have supported? Yeah, so, um, well, Thai theory, uh, I have currently, it supports two uh, nonprofit organizations. And the first one is the LA LGBT Center. So 25% of the profits go towards um, that center. And then the second nonprofit is the Illumination Project, which is in the OC and helps um, the homeless shelters and homeless people get off their feet and whatnot. 
Um, and then the social ties that, you know, I let people say what uh, really they're passionate about and what the causes are. And they do fall along those lines, but also some about nutrition for kids, education, um, social justice in different um, communities and along those lines. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Very cool. Well, it sounds like your mental health regimen has a lot to do with doing stuff that, you know, is fulfilling for you or that, you know, you can direct your energies. Is there anything that you've had to say no to in your life because of that, like pursuing these hobbies? Like, I I imagine running long distances takes time and also (laughs) sewing. (laughs) Uh, It definitely, to say no to, uh, well, I think doing all this, you know, really fulfills me. But also having to say no to my some of my social life um you know having friends like oh let's go ahead no no i gotta sew <laughs> <laughs> let's admit it you like, want to be you want to be there with k-pop I do, <laughs> that's the one thing i wish i didn't say no to um, <laughs> but really finding the time and managing my life and still being able to be in balance while doing all this um is important to me so i do go out and hang out with friends but um, finding that balance for myself. Um, other things I have had to say no to. Um, I guess my mind, the way it runs is that I get a lot of different ideas, like just randomly. So I have to say no to my, my ideas to myself <laughs> a lot of the times. It's like saying you, you got to concentrate on this. Stop, stop thinking about that or this. That, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Very I cool. like that you so. Yeah, fewer and fewer people. So no, I mean like I sewed. You know, in middle school during home ec and stuff like that, my mom sews. And so, you know, sometimes I'll want to make something and then she'll like be next to me and be like, be more careful, you know, like because my lines go like crazy. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely takes practice. Um, So I haven't, I've, it's been a little over a year now that I started sewing. um, But the reason people ask, why did you start sewing? I was like, well, I was cheap and I wanted to work clothes that fit me. So I went to Goodwill and I tailored my stuff. Oh, like, wow. And then seeing that I could do that, I was like, okay, why don't I make my own stuff? And yeah. then that tie theory and whatnot has come out. Okay. Have you made your oh own clothes? God. Like, Yeah, um, I think I've, I've made dresses. I've made for my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the, the most proud I am of what I've made is uh, two suits so far. Wow. Um, suits are very, very Yeah, they specific. take a while. Yeah. So the first suit I made took about two, three months. And it's this golden polka dotted black suit that I wore to the OC Fashion Week. I was oh, so cool. proud of it. Uh, people, people were looking. I was like, oh, why are they looking? But that, like, okay, well, I guess they're why. Um, and then the second suit I made is a collage I call from Tide Theory. All the different fabrics I've collected for Tide Theory has produced the suit. So I, it's the, a party in the back because it's really bright and then professional in the front because it's very classy. Ooh, Makeista. <laughs> the mullet yeah. of all suits. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We should definitely put some pictures up yes. of the, yeah. Yeah, of Thai yeah. Theory. And, oh yeah, I'll take a picture. Um, so what else? I think that, I think we're good. Is our, do you have any other secrets to share with us? Um, more secrets, more secrets. <laughs> not, not, no, I don't think so. I think those are all my secrets for now. But next time, if you have other, other questions, I might pop out some other secrets. Um, you never know. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to sell all your secrets. Saying, there you go. That's the- I have web space for this. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah. And we really appreciate it and have learned a lot. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. It was uh, quite a unique experience. Yeah, and you were so nervous, but you were so great. <laughs> <laughs> any parting words, any last things you want to, words of wisdom you want to give people out there? Um, words of wisdom, stay calm and chill and your life will be good. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I think we're good. I mean, we can just stop the podcast like forever. Yeah. That's all we needed to ever know. Done and done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sing. You're Thanks. Everybody and welcome back to the Bull in the Badger podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bull in the Badger podcast. Podcast. Podcast.